that is on our horizon in chapter 15 that we want to pray and that we want to take on as a prayer for us as, as Christians and as a church here in Petersham is chapter 15 verses 5 and 6. The prayer is that may the God who gives endurance and encouragement give you the same attitude of mind toward each other that Christ Jesus had so that with one mind and one voice you may glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. That's who we want to be, a church full of people who with one mind and one voice glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ together. We glorify God as we show him to be the amazing, gracious God that he is. As we demonstrate in our lives, in our words, in our ministries, in our relationships, that God is amazing, that his grace is extraordinary, that Jesus is the all-sufficient, all-supreme Saviour King that he truly is. Uh, And the book of Romans is all about that. It's all about God's amazing grace, his infinite love and the the beauty of Jesus. And so chapters 1 to 11, that's this uh, majestic picture of God's grace to us in Jesus, who he is and what he's done. And so Paul then, at the start of chapter 12, says, in view of God's mercies, because of his grace in Jesus, this is how you ought to live your whole life in worship to him. This is how you glorify God. You do it by loving one another. You do it by living in the, in the community, right? And, and honouring the government, paying your taxes, even when the government doesn't like the fact that you're a Christian. You, you show that you are secure that Jesus is sufficient, that you have everything in him uh, in order that you might glorify God. And so he's continuing to talk to people who have responded to this good news of Jesus, who want to live their lives in view of God's mercy. And so as you hear these things in these last few chapters of the book of Romans, uh, you've got to realise that Paul's talking to people who are Christians, who have trusted in Jesus, who have accepted God's gift of of life and hope through Christ. It's that thing that you can never buy with your own resources. It's the, the salvation that you can never achieve with your own skills. You can't earn it by your own good works. You can't inherit it from your parents. You only receive it with the empty hands of faith and with a humble and repentant heart as you turn away from yourself and your sin, as you place your past, your present and your future in Jesus' very secure and loving hands and you submit your life to his loving rule and care, then you want to live the rest of your life to his praise and his glory. And we want to do that as a church with one mind and one voice showing that the one Jesus has made us his one eternal family, And so how will we glorify God with one mind and one voice when we disagree? How will we glorify God with one mind and one voice when our consciences are convinced of certain things in different ways? And here's one of the challenges. Jesus keeps bringing into his one eternal worldwide family very weird and wonderful people. 
like the meek, right? And when lots of weird and wonderful people get brought together into one family, there are going to be issues that we disagree on, things that we think differently about because of our personalities or our cultural background or our religious history or our personal experience. And what do we do with that when we disagree? Even when it comes to things like how we live our Christian lives, the rhythms and the habits of Christian discipleship, when we disagree on those things, what are we supposed to do? How are we to live together? And the big thing today is there in verse 19. In verse 19, let's make every effort to do what leads to peace and to mutual edification. And so when you walk through those doors on a Sunday and you see, look at these weird and wonderful people that Jesus has connected me to forever, and the people that, we, that I disagree with on particular issues, what's my attitude supposed to be? How am I meant to act towards them? I'm to, to do everything that leads to peace and to do whatever I can to see that both of us keep growing in Jesus. That's what I meant to do. Now, when we're talking about disagreeing here in uh, Romans chapter 14, the key thing there is in verse 1, where Paul says, don't quarrel over disputable matters. He's not talking about the central core truths of the gospel that we see in chapters 1 to 11, right? That's not up for grabs. A disputable matter isn't something just that someone's disputed. A disputable matter is an issue that the Bible is silent on or doesn't give us particular guidance on, that is secondary in the Christian faith. Paul's not talking about disputing over the central truths of, of Jesus' death and his resurrection, of the gift of his spirit, of the hope of sharing in his glory. All those things that we see in chapters 1 to 11 aren't up for grabs. They're not disputable. That's the core of the gospel that we're united in. But the thing for the Roman Christians is that you're living in this place where a church is with people of mixed kind of religious and cultural backgrounds who are going to come to different conclusions on, on particular matters. And so what do we do when, when consciences collide? And we disagree on these disputable secondary issues of Christian habit or conviction that's not related to the core of the gospel in Romans 1 to 11. Well, the key thing is acceptance and not rejection and living out the reality that Jesus has joined you to him and to one another forever and so don't pull apart what God has joined. And don't erect walls and barriers like what that God has knocked down. Acceptance and not rejection. Welcome and not judgment. Things that are a matter of conscience and Christian freedom where to live with difference and accept one another. We need to accept one another for three reasons. One, because God's welcomed us. Two, because it's the kingdom of Jesus. 
and three, our accountability is to him. Let's have a look at the first one. Accept the one whose faith is weak. Why? Because God has welcomed you. Have a look at verse one again. Accept the one whose faith is weak without quarrelling over disputable matters. One person's faith allows them to eat anything, but another whose faith is weak eats only vegetables. The one who eats everything must not treat with contempt the one who does not, and the one who does not eat everything must not judge the one who does, for God has accepted them. If God has accepted them, then you need to accept them too. Even if you think their faith is weak and they need to grow in this particular area, you need to entrust that to God and you need to patiently walk with them in acceptance, which is not just accepting that they exist, but accepting them into your fellowship, your life, with the warmth and the welcome that God has displayed to you. That even though we disagree on this, we belong together, right, is the picture that we have here. And in this particular case, I think the the weak person's faith is probably a person who has become a Christian but has spent their whole life living out the reality of the Old Testament food laws and Sabbath days and festivals, right? And that those habits and those convictions and those rhythms of life are so ingrained that even when they've become a Christian, they're holding on to them. They're not holding on to them because they think that those things make them right with God. If that was the case, it would be the book of Galatians and Paul would say, no, that's not what the Christian life is all about. They're holding on to them as a matter of Christian discipleship. They're holding on to them because their conscience isn't at the point where they're able to let them go. Even when they they may understand kind of theoretically or rationally or intellectually that Jesus has declared all foods clean, when they see the rashes of bacon, their conscience is peaked. Does that make sense? And often that can be the case for us given our own family background, given our own cultural or religious upbringing, given our own experience of different things through life, can mean that when, we, when it comes to living out the Christian life, there are particular things that we find difficult to let go of or difficult to accept that aren't central to the Christian life but are significant in terms of our own Christian discipleship as we trust in Jesus. And so you can imagine this mixed church with people who are still struggling with the the food laws in fellowship with those who know that in Christ we have freedom to eat whatever. And then they decide they're going to have lunch together after church on a Sunday. And those who are strong in their faith, who know that they have freedom in Christ to eat anything, say, let's order bacon and egg rolls for the whole church on Sunday. With total disregard for the conscience of those for whom that's going to be an issue.
Paul says, if that is the case, the one who is eating everything, who wants to order bacon and egg rolls, don't treat with contempt the person who's struggling with that, whose faith is weak. And the one who doesn't eat everything, you don't stand in judgment of those who do. Right? Don't treat people with contempt and don't sit in judgment when it comes to these secondary issues, is Paul's point. And so when it comes to those disputable issues, we need to accept one another in fellowship, given the fact that God has accepted us. A little while ago, a friend of mine, uh, who I love dearly, and who is totally... um, uh, on board with the gospel of Jesus and is in Christian ministry and she and I differ on a particular issue of what should happen in church. It's a disputable matter. It's a matter of conviction and conscience but it's, it's not central to salvation, right? And so we're still good friends and we both know that we're Christians and that we're living for God's glory and that we want each other's churches to thrive and grow, right? Under God's grace. And there was a person moving to our area and my friend said, oh, go to All Saints, that's a great church. You'll be looked after, go there. And this person came and the very first thing they asked me was about this particular disputable matter. And I said that me and my friend disagree totally on how that thing should be worked out in church. This person was totally shocked. Why would they encourage me to come here? I said because she knows that it's not the most important thing. Right? And that it's possible to live with one another, living with difference, when it comes to secondary issues that the Bible gives us freedom to land in different places on. So we need to welcome one another and accept one another because God has accepted each of us. Secondly, because we've been welcomed into the kingdom of the Lord Jesus, not the kingdom of your own preferences. Have a look at verse 4. Who are you to judge someone else's servant? To their own master's servant stand or fall, and they will stand for the Lord is able to make them stand. One person considers one day more sacred than another, another considers every day alike. Each of them should be fully convinced in their own mind. Whoever regards one day as special does so to the Lord. Whoever eats meat does so to the Lord, for they give thanks to God. And whoever abstains does so to the Lord and give, gives thanks to God. For none of, us will, none, of us, for none of us lives for ourselves alone, and none of us dies for ourselves alone. For if we live, we live to the Lord, and if we die, we die for the Lord. So whether we live or die, we belong to the Lord. For this very reason, Christ died and returned to life so that he might be the Lord of both the living, the dead and the living. You see, the person that we're all serving together with one mind and one voice is the Lord Jesus. And so the question that we need to keep asking is, does my attitude and my actions and my words reflect Jesus' lordship? Am I bringing everything under his loving rule and care? 
The question is not how do I win people to my own point of view, or how do I gain someone's validation that I am right? The question is how do we each point one another to the Lordship of Jesus and bring everything under His good and loving care? And as we think about the, the disciplines and the rhythms of the Christian life, questions are, can I thank God for this? And can I do this for Jesus? And we might come to different conclusions on those points. Here's one example. Historically, the season leading up to Easter, the season of Lent, has been used by Christians throughout generations as a particular focus period of prayer and repentance and, you know, you do the giving up something so to focus your mind and heart on Jesus for um, a few weeks, right? Some Christians think, actually, that's a really religious and kind of legalistic way to think of the Christian life. I don't want to do that. And can maybe sit in contempt on those people who think, actually, I find that a really helpful rhythm in my year and a time to focus on Jesus and particularly pray over a certain thing and to focus my kind of devotion to Him. And it's totally fine to come to different conclusions on that. For some who've maybe come from a Roman Catholic background, that might make them feel like they're heading too far back towards Roman Catholicism and they they don't want to do that. And that's fine. Those who do enjoy that season of the year aren't to sit in contempt or judge those who don't. Do you see how that works out in that particular issue? Each person who comes to a different conclusion gives thanks to God and they either keep Lent for Jesus or they don't keep Lent for Jesus. Right? Not because they think that that's going to save them, but as a particular expression of their Christian discipleship and their rhythms of devotion in the year. Thirdly, we need to accept one another because our accountability is to God, right? Our accountability is to God. Have a look at verse 10. You then, why do you judge your brother or sister or why do you treat them with contempt? For we will all stand before God's judgment seat. It is written, as surely as I live, says the Lord, every knee will bow before me, every tongue will acknowledge God. So then each of us will give an account of ourselves before God. Which is why it's important to train our conscience and to listen to it and to be convinced in our own mind on these secondary issues. Because ultimately we will give account to God for how we have lived our lives. And we don't want to live in such a way where we kind of ignore the conscience that God is growing within us. And hopefully we're training our consciences through God's Word and prayer in order that we might understand more fully what it looks like to be a Christian, to live to God's glory, recognising that we're going to give an account before God. But when we walk through the door of the church each week and we sit down, we're not sitting in seats of judgement where everyone needs to give an account of their own Christian life to me. No, it's God is the one who holds us accountable. 
so that's why it's important for each of us to live out our Christian life with integrity and conviction. And the final thing Paul wants to say in verses 13 to 23 is a word to those who maybe are in the category of the person who's stronger in faith, who has understood the freedom that they have in Christ, whose Christian discipleship isn't limited to particular cultural norms in particular cultural times, right? But whose Christian maturity has led them to this place where they're in a position of understanding more fully the freedom that Jesus gives. What are you to do with that freedom? Well, you don't use your freedom as a big stick to beat up other people. You don't flaunt your freedom in the face of those whose faith is weaker. No, you will even limit your freedom and choose to not exercise your freedom in Christ in order that you might not put a stumbling block in front of a person that God loves and has Jesus died for and that you were meant to love and serve sacrificially. So make up your mind, verse 13, not to put any stumbling block or obstacle in the way of a brother or a sister. Paul says that he's convinced, being fully persuaded in the Lord Jesus, that nothing's in, unclean in itself, but if, anything, if anyone regards something as unclean, then for that person it is unclean. And so if your brother or sister is distressed because of what you, are eat, because of what you eat, you are no longer acting in love. For these Roman Christians, if they were to bring the bacon and egg rolls to the church lunch and to eat them in front of their weaker Jewish Christian brothers and sisters, they are no longer acting in love. They are using their freedom as a big stick to beat up their brothers and sisters in Christ and to put a stumbling block in front of them instead of encouraging them to grow in the gospel. Do not by your eating destroy someone for whom Christ died. For the kingdom of God is not a matter of eating and drinking, but of righteousness, peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. It's not about those external things like food and drink, how we dress, the kind of music we like, the rhythms of our Christian life, No, the kingdom of God is about eternal things like righteousness, peace and joy. And so if we keep those eternal things front and centre and we exercise flexibility when it comes to the external things like food and drink, then we will be a united missionary church who can with one mind and one voice glorify God together. Uh, some years ago I was meeting with a, a young Christian guy um, who was convinced that it was wrong for Christians to buy anything on a Sunday. Sunday was the Christian Sabbath and so on Sundays we shouldn't get petrol, buy coffee, go shopping, that sort of thing. And as I met with him, what I should have said is tell me more about that, let's read the Bible together, let's go for a walk and sit in the park but instead I said, well, that's silly, I'm getting a coffee. 
And then I spent an hour beating him up with the gospel, trying to convince him that he was wrong. I was not acting in love. I was not doing what leads to peace and mutual edification. I was building a big stumbling block for him to trip over in his own Christian discipleship. Instead of patiently walking with him and praying with him, instead of keeping our Bibles open and allowing God to grow him in maturity and understanding of his Christian freedom. One of the things that this should lead us to be is humble and patient with one another. Not judgmental, not looking down our noses, not avoiding, not laughing at, not making fun of, not excluding one another based on these secondary things. Matters of conscience and conviction about the Christian life, but not matters of salvation and the central truths of the gospel. And so on these disputable matters, we're to have patience and grace, we're to have humility and love demonstrating the gospel welcome that God has extended to us and not pulling the church apart and Christian fellowship apart and so diminishing the impact of the gospel. But instead we glorify God in this world by showing the enormity of the gospel that even people who disagree and people who are different and people who are who on paper are totally incompatible, actually love each other and build one another up in love, in the fellowship of Christian community, with a great desire to have one mind and one voice with which we glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. I'm going to pray that we might indeed be that church. Let's pray. Our Father, we thank you so much for the life and the freedom that Jesus gives and we pray that you would help us to so live out the Christian life that we don't tear apart what you have joined together, that we in our own convictions and our own practices won't be unhelpful to those around us but that each of us would pursue what accords with peace and mutual edification, wanting to see one another built up in love as we follow the Lord Jesus. Give us grace and humility and patience for this long-term Christian discipleship together, we pray, in order that we might glorify you with that one mind and one voice that the gospel creates. And we ask this for Jesus' sake. Amen.